As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. A little switch in the schedule. Derek Van Riper here today with Al Melchior. We're going to have Under the Radar on Thursday this week, so just a little Tuesday-Thursday switcheroo, as they call it. As they call it? I don't know who calls it that. I'm calling it that, so that's what it is. Uh, But I'm lucky because Al's got some really cool stuff up on the site right now. He took a look at some players who were 2020 breakouts kind of look back to, at what they've done in 2021 to see if they've met on uh, met those expectations kind of get a sense for what these guys might be doing going forward um, so al let's just go right at this uh, randy Arena, kind of the headliner in the piece and i think he was a really fun player to debate about back during draft season just because what he did in september and october of last year was outside of anybody's wildest projections. No matter how much you thought Randy Rosarena could be a good player in the big leagues, there is no way you expected him to do what he did at the end of 2020. And he ended up settling in as a pretty steady early rounder, right? I mean, the ADP for him at the end of March in NFBC leagues was 56 overall. So in a 15-team league, pretty easily in the first four rounds consistently, there was power and there was speed. Do you feel like the projections and the market as a whole got the valuation and expectations for a Rosa Reina right, looking back at it through hindsight and seeing how this season has played out? Well, based on how the season has played out for Rosa Reina, I, I think that uh, you know we as a community absolutely nailed it. <laughs> and I was kind of surprised to see that um, just because it was it was such a tough thing to try to figure out. And the reason that I wrote the piece was just because it's just a question that I've come back to on again, off again, all season long, because again, it was just, it was such a puzzle uh, looking back at last October and just thinking that he was just never going to stop hitting dingers and, you know, Mm -hmm. knowing he was going to stop at some point. And, you know, just, I didn't wind up drafting him anywhere this year because in a way I was just being avoidant. I I didn't want to underrate him, didn't want to overrate him, but yeah, that ADP pretty much, hit his value right on the nose uh, among outfielders. I think he is currently 16th or I'm sorry. He was 16th in ADP. He's 19th currently in five by five value. 
So that's pretty darn close and pretty good. And if you look at the projection systems, and I wrote about this in the article, they generally had him in the 25 to 28 homer range. He's going to fall probably a little short of that unless he really goes on to tear in September. And he has done that before. Uh, so, uh, But at the pace he's at, um, he'll fall a little short there. He'll come out probably a little ahead in terms of uh, RBIs. And it all sort of washes out. So, yeah, it's rather amazing, I think. Yeah, a little bit under the steals expectations, probably more because of the success rate, though. The attempts have been there. He's 12 for mm-hmm. 20, so he's probably going to, I don't know, rack up four or five more attempts. If he's successful on those, he gets over 15 steals in the season. So definitely close to what was projected for him. Is this what we get going forward, though? Because we've seen the strikeout rate sit in the high 20s, 28.2% this year. He does draw walks, which bodes really well for his chances of staying in a prominent lineup spot in the long run. But when you factor in the elevated K rate with the low success rate on stolen bases, to me, there is some risk in this profile that maybe the batting average could slip just a little bit. And if the success rate doesn't begin to improve, those green lights for him as a base dealer could pretty quickly go away. Yeah, I think there. Yeah, there's a lot of risk here going into 2020. And, you know, I only kind of half jokingly say, like, let's see what he does in September. You know, is he going to do that again? Because he has been on something of a power uptick since the All-Star break. So if he just kind of takes it up another half notch, um, we could have a replay of last year. But if we just look at what we have to look at right now. Uh, I, I do think that we should temper our expectations for next year because on the one hand, we can look at the results and say, yeah, we we figured this out. We kind of tried to pick the happy medium between the ceiling that he showed in September, October, where we think the floor is and kind of finding a comfortable place in the middle and apparently nailing that. But as you mentioned, there's really some risk of batting average erosion. He has hit 365 on grounders this year. And for people who, you know, don't spend too much time on like the fan craft split leaderboards and uh, are familiar with these things, like a normal batting average on ground balls is like 230 or 240. So I repeat, he has hit 365 at grounders. <laughs> uh, something that, you know, could make that tick, you know, north of 240 would be being fast, which which Rosarena is. Um, uh, hitting grounders the opposite way, which he doesn't really do it. Uh, an unusually high or un, yeah, an unusually high rate. So that looks really, really suspect. Do you think he's going to be priced higher, the lower or, or the same as he was in 2021? As we kind of look ahead to 2022, like, do you think the ADP is within? Let's I mean, same for me is within probably five picks in either direction. Like, that's about a half round of buffer. How do you think the, uh, the community is going to treat him going into his second full season with the Rays? I would be really surprised if they treated him any differently next year because it, it worked out this year. So that would seem to be the the lesson that we would take away. It's a lesson I would take away if I didn't do a deeper dive. So, uh, and at, like I said, we'll see what happens in September. That could maybe change things, especially since he has been trending in an upward direction since the All-Star break. Uh, but if he kind of just levels off and gives us a stat line that looks very much like the one that he's got right now, I'm probably going to have another season in 2022 where I don't have him on any rosters. Yeah, I'm looking at where he's done damage throughout his career. I, I brought this up back during draft season. In the regular season last year, all seven of his home runs came against fastballs. He hit a few breaking balls out during the playoffs. I thought maybe teams would throw him more breaking balls this season. That would cause him to slide a bit from some of the expectations that were set for him. And the distribution of home runs is 
as you might expect, fastball heavy. 14 of his home runs this season have come against four seamers and two seamers. Breaking balls, only two homers against those, and only one home run against uh, off-speed pitches. So there is definitely some work to be done, I think, in his profile for him to get back up to the the possible 25-25 sort of ceiling as a hitter. I feel like he has to do more than just crush fastballs if he's going to be that player. But a very good player across the board. Uh, the pure speed, he's in the 88th percentile for sprint speed. So that stolen base success rate, I know it's not just being fast that makes you a good base dealer. I still have some reason to believe that maybe he can get that back into the, the 18 to 20 range over the course of a full season next year too. So I'm still fairly optimistic that there is a good full season coming from Randy Arozarena in 2022. And I'm probably a little more in now that we've seen it again or a version of it again. I'm more in next year than I was this year. This year I was, t- I was stuck between Arozarena and Aaron judge, even though with, Judge, there, there was clearly less of a ceiling in stolen bases. I just thought he was a better all-around offensive player. So in the situations where I went Judge over a Rosarena, I had some immediate regrets about the steals, the way it's played out. and There's only six steals separating them, and Judge has been the more valuable player overall. So uh, I was right even if my process was flawed back in the spring. Well, and I want to throw out one more stat for a Rosarena that really kind of scares me uh, for next year. His X slug is 355. Now, granted, I mean, we're talking about slug and not ISO. So that's also reflecting the fact that his expected batting average is way lower than um, his actual average. His uh, XBA is 211. So obviously that stat's not buying those ground ball base hits at all. Um, <laughs> but still, I mean, you do the subtraction. That's a, that's a 144 ISO. And he does, he's not an extreme ground ball hitter, but he hits enough grounders that if he's not hitting the flies that he hits with a ton of authority uh, and more to the point with a ton of exit velocity, it it does kind of even bring the 20 homer part of the equation into question. Yeah, definitely some, some risk in the profile, but he does so many things. He has a lot of ways to be a solid pick where we expect him to go. And if he falls off of the ADP that he had in 2021, that makes me more interested. If the price is the same as we're suggesting, I'm in, but he's not like a must-get player for me at that range, I guess, to sort of clarify how I'd approach it. The other guy you wrote about in this article is Ford in total that I think is kind of a similar player mm-hmm. just in the sense that I I was back and forth on how much I trusted him coming into the season. I don't think I have him anywhere. It's Teoscar Hernandez, and he's doing everything right now. I mean, the, yeah. 295 average, 22 homers, 86 RBIs, nine steals to go along with it. Uh, it's a career high for him in that category. He's got a shot at matching his career high in homers, 26 back in the year of the rabbit ball in 2019. And this was really an extension of, of 2020. And from a power perspective, it's, it's been there the entire time. But were you a believer going into the season on Teoscar? Because I, at the price, couldn't be. I felt like I could find similar players a few rounds later who are going to match his production. So he's one of my bigger misses for this season. Uh, I did hit with him. I've got him on two teams and I was definitely a believer. Didn't really have uh, any compunction about getting him where I got him. But, you know, sort of like with the Rosarena, I might've had the right result with, uh, and uh, but maybe with not the best process because um, <laughs> maybe I needed to not give as much weight as I did to 2020. And I think that, 
Tasker Hernandez actually gives us kind of an interesting example to work with in talking about process because, uh, you know, he had one pattern before 2020, another one in 2020, which was really pretty a radical departure for him where he became a lot more selective. And then that came with even more power. And then he kind of, in the first half, he reverted back to who he had been before. Uh, So the batting average was there, but the power was down a bit. And then in the second half, um, he's still not as selective as he was in 2020, but the power's there anyway because he's just hitting hitting a lot more fly balls. So on the one hand, you can look at just, you know, season to date results. And I mean, I know we all, a lot of us talk about being believers in sample size and, you know, going with the, the you know, more reliable, larger samples. And I generally think that's a good thing. But I also think that, um, you know, when you see big changes from, uh, one half to another or one two or three month stretch to another two or three month stretch. It does make me wonder what what changed. And so I, you know, Tasker Hernandez is another hitter that I'm really eager to see what he does in September because you've seen like four totally different patterns from him uh, in, you know, depending on how you break it down. And I'm very curious, just, just from a process, forget this particular example, from a process perspective, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think this is uh, a lot of this comes back to regression and and something that Eno and I were talking about on rates and barrels on on Monday. Even Vlad Jr., who is an MVP candidate in the AL, like what he was doing in the first half versus what he's done in the second half, two completely different looks. And mm-hmm. I believe that we when we see something really good happening, we just want to believe that, that will continue for the rest of the season because it's more fun to believe that regression will not come for a player that is struggling. And I think in general, if we have a star player who's not playing well, uh, maybe Juan Soto in the first half, injury is probably a big part of that, or Christian Yelich is probably a good example of this too. Someone who's playing well below our expectations, we assume regression will come to help them, even though we're not necessarily as comfortable pushing regression on a a star player playing at an elite level. And I I think the lost kind of in all of this... Part of regression, in some ways, to me, is like the process of it is the the game of adjustments that baseball is. Like if you are destroying everything you see, teams are going to try and pitch you differently, and eventually they're going to find something that works a little better than what they were doing before. And how quickly you figure out what they're doing to you, and, and how well you can adjust to that, that sort of molds how much regression there is, how steep that drop off is, or how quickly you kind of get back to that level that you were previously at. And it's the most frustrating and, and fun part of our game, I think, trying to figure out if there's something meaningful and, and future predictive about what you're seeing for any given stretch. And I think it's the it, it, it's like you can research it forever and still come up with what I think are often inconclusive results. Yeah, well, and I think that brings us kind of back to Rosarena and just, you know, having that tiny sample from last year and having to do something with it. And so what we collectively did was we estimated some kind of safe midpoint and it, it worked out. So I think with all these players, to some extent that I wrote about in this article, we're, we're probably going to have to wind up doing that. Uh, but Hernandez is interesting and there's kind of an extra dimension to it in that he missed most of April because of a positive COVID test. And so I could just easily say, hey, well, second half Teoscar is 2022 Teoscar because 
he's healthy and he's not coming off of, you know, having time missed and maybe, you know, having to re uh, establish his, his mechanics or whatever. Um, and, you know, so what we're seeing in the second half, that's, that's the real deal. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just, that's just a story. Right. Right. It's a lot of narrative, right? We're, we're always, yeah. we're always looking for a reason to explain why things are happening and there isn't always one, or we don't always find the true reason for why things are happening the way they are. But if it were easy, and if we could do it, this game would not be as fun as it is. I'm, I'm adamant that that's the case. Uh, looking at Hernandez, even just versus a Rosarena, I think Hernandez will be more pricey than he was in 2021, just because, again, this is a, a longer window of him doing things that we saw him do in 2020 and were probably a little skeptical of now that he's done it for what's basically a full season. He put the two seasons together. It's 161 games. He's hit 38 homers and stolen 15 bases with like a 290s batting average and great counting stats because the Jays lineup is one of the best lineups in the entire league right now. So if you're looking at Teoscar versus a Rosarena, straight up even price, probably around that pick 50, pick 60 range going into 2022, who do you actually like better if you're making that call today? Whew. I'd say probably <laughs> Hernandez. Tough call, but... Yeah, I've got a lot of worries about a Rosarena, especially at the the price that I figure he's going to go at. What about you? I think I'm on Hernandez too. So he's made me a believer uh, over the course of the season. I think the other thing with a Rosarena that I, I always come back to is his tendency to swing at pitches outside the strike zone. And I think players that have those high O swing percentages definitely give me a lot of pause. And they're players that get away with it. Javi Baez, when he's good, gets away with it. Keston Hira got away with it when he was good for a little while. But I think they can be extremely volatile just because of the the wild swings you can get in production when you don't always take the take chances on, on pitches you should be swinging at. I think you, you give away a lot of leverage within a particular plate appearance when you put yourself behind in the count more often. I think that's a symptom of being very aggressive at pitches outside the zone. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. The one thing I want to say about Hernandez, though, is that the risk that you take, the risk that you and I would take, you know, if, if we, uh, you know, pursue him in 2022, is that you do get first half task or Hernandez. And that profile was basically the Ty France, Andrew Benintendi profile of being really aggressive, not generating a ton of power, not being without power, but, you know, maybe being a 15 to 20 homer guy that that will hit 280, 290. Uh, but you're, you know, you're certainly not going to get what you've had collectively from Hernandez over the last two seasons. I could also see it being a case where I look at both of these guys and I look at players who do something different. I look at a middle infielder or a corner infielder or a pitcher, and I just go to the plan B or plan C in this range instead, because yeah. I, I still think as a player, one of my strengths is finding players more like Teoscar Hernandez in the, the middle and late rounds. I don't think his profile is so unique that I can't find other guys like that 50 picks later or 100 picks later. So that could be something that leads me to get maybe my first or second starting pitcher or an early closer or whatever it is I'm trying to, to get. I, I might just see more value going the other direction and just sort of bypassing both of these players completely, not because they're not worth what it takes to get them, but because I just see more value in the alternatives in that range. Yeah. Sometimes that has come back to burn me uh, because I, I don't wind up getting a, a comparable player later on, but uh, yeah, that's definitely a way to, 
to avoid the uh, the risk. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We should talk about Luke Voigt here because he's also a part of the column and you should read the column in its entirety because I'm sure there are are points that are not being made on the podcast that are included in the story itself. But with Voigt, I don't see any real skills issues with him whatsoever. Maybe we should be slightly concerned that they traded for Anthony Rizzo, but I think that was, again, a function of Voigt not being healthy. So we're looking at a guy who lost a ton of power compared to what we saw in the shortened season. But what we saw in the shortened season was something that he had done in limited playing time two years prior to that back in in 2018. Who is the real Luke Voigt for you? Like I think he's the guy that hits for a ton of power. And because he's dealt with a ton of different injuries, we just don't get to see that guy all the time. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. I think he is the guy who hits for power and hits for average. And the thing that really helps uh, support my belief in that version of Voight is that this year, even though the numbers are way down, um, and even if we're just talking about rate stats, the the power indicators are are the same or better as they were in 2020. In fact, his barrel rate is quite a bit higher. It's like two ticks higher than it was last year and everything else. Exit velocity on flies and liners. Uh, I think the fly ball rate, those things are all really, really similar to what they were last year. He's just striking out a little too much. And that may be correlated with the fact that he hasn't been healthy. So uh, yeah, I think you just completely uh, hit the bullseye in terms of you know, describing the the pros and cons of drafting Luke Voigt next year. But I, I think in a way that the Yankees getting Anthony Rizzo may be the the thing that really uh, helps us in getting Luke Voigt next year. Because, I mean, imagine if the Yankees didn't do that and Luke Voigt was just settled in at first base and kind of you know plodding along. I mean, I think there would be a perception of risk, but I don't think there would be a worry about playing time. So I, I just think that that really... Maybe this is just me projecting my own perception, but I know when that that happened for me, it kind of took the air out of, uh, you know, any enthusiasm for Luke Voigt. But um, the skills are are still very much there. And maybe he's not a Yankee in twenty twenty two. Yeah, he gets traded this winter. That could absolutely happen. I guess the other question I would have for you, just thinking about that scenario, is. Do you trust his power outside of Yankee Stadium? How much of the success that he's had uh, going back through 2019 or even 2018 when he first got to Yankee Stadium, how much of that is the result of his home park and how much of that is just the result of him being a legitimately good power hitter? A little bit the park, but uh, that's a, a move I would really welcome. I mean, I'd like to see him land someplace where there's not going to be a concern for playing time. And I think the, the power skills will 
almost completely translate to wherever he would go. I'm going back to the road splits for a moment. 2019, he had a 292, 406, 555 line on the road that year, a 153 WRC+. Plus. Uh, last two seasons, going back to the shortened season, slugging percentage under 400 on the road, which is noisy, of course. And as I mm-hmm. mentioned, I just think a good number of the plate appearances he's taken this season have come at less than 100% health. So that gives me reason to give him a pause, uh, a pass and, and, and just kind of pause and say, hey, what do I really think of this player? Price-wise, going into 2022, he probably falls out of the top 200 overall, at least in early drafts. I could see him being the kind of guy that with the uncertainty about his role and where he's going to play, people can get a really nice discount on him in draft champions leagues in November and December. If we get some clarity around the winter meetings or at some point during the, the middle of the winter, then at that point, if playing time clarifies, the situation ends up being another good one. At that point, I could see Voight kind of trending back up, maybe into the 150 to 200 range, but probably not any higher than pick 150 despite the past success. Yeah, no, I think that's all right. And um, on, on a pretty much unrelated and, and irrelevant note, I've been thinking a lot about the uh, trade that brought him to the Yankees and sent Giovanni Gallegos the other way. And at the time, I don't remember that being a trade that many people were talking about or cared that mm-hmm. much about. And it's turned out to be a pretty impactful trade. Yeah. They had two really interesting players involved in a, a deal that we all kind of just said, yeah, okay, sure. Let's uh, <laughs> let's just go on with our lives. This trade's not going to matter. Well, actually, it actually helped both teams quite a bit. Um, let's talk about Cabrian Hayes. He came up on the episode that, that Sarah Sanchez joined me for last week, and we were talking about rookie of the year candidates and Hayes was a preseason among the favorites in the NL. And it just this hasn't been the year people were expecting from Hayes at the same time. I am not as surprised by this, not because I'm some sort of genius. I looked at Brian Hayes's track record in the minors. And I thought that was still a little more instructive as to the type of hitter he was going to be in 2021 than the hitter that he was in that very, very small portion of time that he was up for the Pirates last season. Like the amount of uh, of power he was showing us in 2020 was just ridiculous. Like it, it, it was completely unsustainable. So like where you set that middle ground, I think was, was a challenge, but I thought we had enough of a track record of him underperforming in power where I was very comfortable letting him go elsewhere. I, there was never a draft where he fell long enough where I felt like I was getting good enough value. And I think there are a lot of things to like about Hayes. I think he's a good contact hitter obviously a fantastic defender. There are no concerns about playing time. I I think he's probably a good bounce back player for me in 2022, even with the limitations that I think he currently has. This is just absolute confirmation bias for me, DVR, (laughs) (laughs) because I didn't draft Hayes anywhere. I didn't buy into 2020 whatsoever, completely skeptical. And um, at this point, I mean, this season has gone worse than, I think, you know, even the the bigger skeptics could have imagined, um, especially uh, during the second half where he's just been striking out a lot more. The numbers are are pretty abysmal. So uh, I don't know. I I don't know where he's going to go next year. I imagine that expectations are going to be really diminished for Hayes. And so if he is still around in the later rounds and say 12 team leagues, then yeah, I could see. Uh, winding up with him maybe on some teams next year, especially given the the current state of third base and just hoping that some of that 2020 uh, ceiling is, is going to be there in 2022. But yeah, this season has done nothing 
to uh, you know change my my thinking because it's just the the numbers this year are just way too much in line with what you would expect from a player who put up the minor league numbers that that he did. Yeah, and I think one thing you pointed out in the article that's important to rehash here is he's had a wrist injury, and it's one of the many injuries that can sap a player's power. I think just a, a healthy haze alone gives us a bit more. I think it's more of a accumulator sort of profile in the short term. He has to lift the ball more consistently if he's ever going to be a 25 home run player. You just you really can't do it with a ground ball rate like the one we're seeing from Hayes right now. 56.2%, but that's the lowest it's the worst ground ball rate that he's ever produced at a hit as a hitter at any level. And I think a lot of that is the way you get pitched in the big leagues compared to the way you get pitched in the minor leagues. It's an adjustment phase, right? It's still only because of the missed time this year. We're only 101 games into Cabrian Hayes' big league career, 407 plate appearances. That's like two-thirds of one season. So he's still in the very early adjustment stages. Again, they're not going to mess with his playing time at all. I think that's a huge part of the appeal. They're going to give him every opportunity to figure it out. And I would look at that really high ground ball rate and immediately say, that's not who he is either. And that's part of the reason why I think he can turn things around a bit, especially like in NL only leagues next year. Love Cabrian Hayes in leagues that deep, but I think even in like a 15 team mixed league, he could prove to be a pretty nice corner guy who costs next to nothing uh, on draft day. So I'm in, even though I was not in this year. I was starting to kind of peruse the the list of players who have, have basically been breakouts in some way for this year, and I was thinking of a skills breakout that I think is challenging to project going forward. Matt Olson. Like this version of Matt Olson, Al, is messing with my head. A 16.5% K rate this year. You know, when I first noticed it, probably back in late April or early May, I thought, okay, this is fun, but he's probably going to strike out 23% of the time, 24% of the time, the rest of the way. Maybe have a, a career best year in K rate, but not by almost like eight percentage points, I think is where he's at right now. I mean, this is remarkable. And he's still drawing walks and he's still hitting the ball with a lot of authority. So where do we go from here with a guy like Olsen? When you see this much of a skills change, how do you regress that accordingly? How do you set your expectations correctly based on a much longer track record of, of contact issues? Well, I'm looking at his uh, fan graphs page right now and looking at the rest of season projections. And I see that you know those projection systems have done basically what I figure I'll be doing come next spring, which is picking the the middle ground. So those projected strikeout rates, uh, you know, are ranging from the upper to the mid twenties, which actually kind of steers him probably a little closer to to where he had been previously than you know really giving this this year a lot of weight. So maybe I'll I'll be a little bit opt a little bit more optimistic about Olsen going into next year, but it's just we just see it far too often when a player makes a leap, and it, it's just like what we were talking about with Tasker Hernandez a little while ago, where last year he just suddenly became way more choosy, and then this year you know back to you know, kind of swinging at everything. So I, I'm really skeptical that we're not going to see Olsen you know go back to you know something like a 24 25 percent strikeout rate. Uh, but you never know. I mean, the other player I'm thinking of right now is Josh Reddick. And I know it's not, a, you know, but he's a terrible comp for somebody who's got Matt Olson's power. But early in his career, Reddick struck out a lot. And then there was just, just this one year, I think it was with the A's, where he really just stopped striking out. And that just continued on for years. So there, you know, there are precedents for that. 
Yeah, sometimes players do come up with a new approach, find something that works, maybe just change something about their swing that gets gets them to the ball a little easier and uh, eliminates a hole that was being exploited previously. I guess part of what's so jarring, though, with Olsen is that the K rate was at a career worst in the shortened season by a pretty good clip. A 31.4% strikeout rate was uh, more than five percentage points higher than what we'd seen from him both in 2018 and 2019. So I, I kind of expected him to go back to 24 or 25, and then we get this big drop to 16. So I, I think the, the thing you said here that is really important to keep in mind, if you're trying to get ahead on either making keeper decisions or you're starting to do your 2022 draft prep already, and by the way, if you're doing that, we're, we're kindred spirits. I'm already thinking about next season, even though I'm still <laughs> enjoying this one. The rest of season slash lines, I think, are very helpful because the 2022 projections are going to look an awful lot like the current rest of season projections. There's not a lot that changes with the inputs. I mean, obviously, players change teams and systems can have new variables they account for. But these are good starting points as you're starting to put together some ideas of you know how viable players are going to be or how likely some players are going to be to bounce back as you look ahead to next season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's a uh, you know, good point. And now it's probably, it's not something I typically have done, but I think now is a good time maybe to start that prep by looking at the, the rest of season projections, because obviously the closer we get to October, uh, the less meaningful that those become. So we should talk about Christian Yelich for a moment, just because this is for me, one of the, one of the biggest L's, of the last couple of seasons. I thought he was the best player in fantasy going into 2022 or into 2020. I don't know what year it is. I thought Yelich was one of the best players in the league going into 2020. I thought he was 1-1 on my board at the time. There was power, there was speed, there was batting average. You know, it was an MVP season followed by a runner-up MVP season. I thought, great, peak Yelich in a hitter-friendly environment. This is going to continue for a little while. And it has been a bumpy road going back through the shortened season and even through this one. And Yelich, I think, is on like a nine-game hitting streak entering play on Tuesday, looking more like himself in the last month than he has probably at any point in the last calendar year. Where do you go with someone like Yelich, who has put two combined seasons now together that are very far away from what he was doing in 18 and 19 especially? But even if you compare what he's doing right now compared to the player he was at the end of his time with the Marlins. Mm-hmm. He's lost a bit. The K rate is up. He's still up at 25.4%. The projections point to a guy that is good, but not elite anymore. A 270, 376, 483 line projected the rest of the way by the bat X. Do you have reasons that would lead you to believe that he can still exceed that? Or do you think that is truly the correct guide, even with the injuries and different things that Yelich has been dealing with? Uh, I, I definitely have reason to think that he can exceed that. And I, I guess I'm going to say yes to both because I also think it's a good guide in terms of how far to reach for him. I think you know expectations are likely to be really highly diminished for next year. But I just think this is a case of somebody who you know was really, really banged up and maybe still is to some extent. And we'll, you know we maybe won't ever know for sure, but... It just makes me suspicious when somebody kind of falls off the edge of the table like this in terms of the skills profile and that that coincided with with some pretty serious injury. So uh, I know there have been cases where, you know, players, it takes them two, three years to kind of come back and come come close to that level again. 
And, you know, for that matter, you know, Giancarlo Stanton, like I, I think he could, I think there's still more upside there compared to what we've seen the last couple of seasons from him, not to be a total Marlins, you know, ex Marlins <laughs> Homer here, but that, that name just, uh, you know, popped up by association. So I could see myself having a lot of Yelich next year because I think he's going to come much, much later in drafts. And I think that, you know, 2019, it's just not that long ago. And I don't see any reason why he can't come a lot closer to that in 2022. Yeah, I, I wonder if in terms of ADP and, and just how people view him, if he's going to go down the the Chris Bryant arc. I mean, Bryant had a, a disappointing shortened season, missed a bunch of time. It wasn't as long of a stretch of a downturn in production, but I think what makes Bryant similar in my head is the missed time in 2018 and the dip in power there. And we, we saw the K rate jump a little bit for Bryant in that shortened season too. And if you think about where Bryant was going in, in drafts this year, he's been a steal. I mean, his ADP in late March was 129, and he'll probably jump 50-plus picks off that based on what we've seen here in 2021. So if Yelich is going to fall to that range, I feel like that falls into the no-brainer category. And you can be wrong about a player's health. Sometimes the injuries just keep piling up and a guy doesn't bounce back. But there's there's something in the... Once you show skills, you own it that sticks with you when you show elite skills like that. And two years ago really wasn't that long ago because even though we had a season in 2020, I have such a hard time drawing a lot of meaningful conclusions from it. I think that's what that's what's made this season so hard. As you look back at last season and for some players like, well, this is kind of an extension of last year, but if last year just didn't happen at all, would you be panicking as much about this year? And and like, could you still be messed up from last year in a variety of ways? And I, my answer to that would be, yeah, you st- 2020 could still be having an impact on players in ways we can't even really imagine here in 2021. Oh, that's a great, great point. So, and you know, something that would have applied to the four players I wrote about as well. Um, I mean, I just, you know, thought it was weird to come into the season and have to make, uh, decisions about how to, you know, value players, um, you know, based on just that, you know, completely aberrant season, not only in terms of the length of it, but the circumstance. And some of those circumstances have been around this year. So I think that's that's a really good point. So as uh, under normal circumstances, I'd look at a player like Yellow and say, yeah, I think there's an opportunity or a possibility for him to come pretty close to where he had been before. When you factor in the circumstances of the last two seasons, I think that's even more likely as uh, a possibility. I'd throw Jose Altuve out there. It's just another name that was kind of just left as a, well, he's not a lead anymore. You know, he's a, he's an early mid round guy, but that that's all he's going to be. And it's like, well, he's, he's bounced back even more than I would have expected. I didn't see a possible 30 home run season coming from him again. I thought, you know, he's a high volume guy, easy 15, maybe 20 home runs, lots of runs, lots of RBIs. If he stays healthy, great batting average. I'm happy with that, but this is one of the best versions of El Tuve that we've seen, at least as a power hitter, because he's putting the ball in the air more often, doesn't run like he did at his peak, right? He had that stretch of, of six seasons with at least 30 plus steals. He's only got four steals this year, but if he's a 30 home run guy who's going to score 100 runs, drive in 80 or so, you'll take that at the price. And I think with Gelich, maybe the bounce back is not the MVP level guy, but it's 80% of that player or 90% of that player coming at 50 or 60% of the price. And that's what we're always looking for. We're always looking for that kind of extra value along the way. So I think he can provide that. I think, you know, the stolen bases for him, 
He's got 12 now over his last 147 games. So he still runs some, but it is tapering just a bit, even though he's still getting on base a lot, right? This Mm -hmm. This is a team that has struggled to score runs, but they're not giving everyone constant green lights either. I think that's a part of his game that you probably want to start expecting to, to kind of fade away as he gets closer to 30. He's going to turn 30 in December. So bounce backs don't always mean like full bounce backs, but you can bounce back a lot and turn in a surprising amount of value. That That's what I'm expecting from Yelich, and I just think everyone's going to bail on him price-wise. And I say that as someone who was very, very wrong about how long that peak that was actually going to last. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions uh, is there anybody else from from this year? I mentioned Olsen with the the K percentage. Anyone who you've seen a, a skill or possibly even two skills that have just gone one direction or the other, and you thought this is just weird. Like what <laughs> what on earth is happening in this profile? Because I, I think those players are are really some of the most fun players to break down. Oh man, I I should you know with all the columns that I've wrote all year, uh, which often just come from finding one player with an oddity, I should have at least somebody coming to mind, and nobody is, uh, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I'm sure the second we hit stop record, uh, I will think of four players. Well, so you but, tipped me off to a, a grid uh, a while back over at yes. Fangraphs, the season stat grid, which I didn't even realize existed for a long time. I, I, it's amazing you could spend as much time at Fangraphs as I do and, and not not know that page is a thing. Uh, but uh, I'm looking like Matt Olson. Okay, so of, of all players with at least 100 plate appearances this season and in the previous season, only Joe Adele has improved his strikeout rate more than Matt Olson has year over year. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a big deal because the problem with Joe Adele when he first arrived in the big leagues was he striking out too much. I think that's one of those skills that I'm always hunting for. I mean, Jesse Winker doing that, that's not as much of a surprise because he was always a hit, good hit tool guy. Uh, Austin Meadows bouncing back, I guess, not that much of a surprise because he'd previously shown the skill. I would say Harrison Bader is kind of like that. He's come up on a bunch of different shows over the course of the season as someone I keep looking at and wondering, is he getting to that next level? Is he actually going to take all those tools and turn it into one really nice season? I, I keep looking at him as a, a deep league sort of player that I, I think is showing some underlying skills growth this year that isn't necessarily being fully reflected in the overall results. He's still hitting 238 with a 306 OBP and a 395 slug. No one's going to get excited about that, but he's kind of flirting with a 20 home run pace, double digit steals. And he's a great defender. So when you consider that he's got power, he's got speed, he plays a premium position well, playing time's probably going to be there. 
if there's this sustained skills growth with the K percentage especially, that to me is the thing that could enable him to sort of break the projection going forward where projections don't like him. Like projections are going to steer you away from Harrison Bader, 229, 306, 398 from the bad X. It's going to be close to that when the 2022 projection comes out. But I'm kind of in because I, I see just enough skills growth there to believe the Cardinals are going to keep seeing what he can do with regular playing time. Well, I'll need to take a look, another look at Harrison Bader because earlier this year when he went on that little power binge and it wasn't at all supported by stat cast metrics, that was kind of the last straw for me <laughs> because Bader was always somebody who I saw the potential in and thought would be a great breakout player. And we all have kind of a line <laughs> that gets crossed where our patience runs out. And I think that once he went through that period and then in fact did regress big time after it, that was kind of when I hit that point of no return. Understandable. The thing that's going wrong for Bader this year, a career low barrel rate, 5.5%. So getting the K rate down, but not doing nearly as much damage when he connects. That needs to come back. If he gets that back to his previous career levels, like he's 8.1% for his career, if I'm not mistaken, that's encouraging, right? If you consolidate all these skills, and again, it's a lot of ifs, but I think there's just enough there for me to give him one more shot. I think he is one of those frustrating players that a lot of people have given up on, and for good reason. If you want to check out the piece that Al wrote, you should get a subscription to The Athletic, and right now is a great time to get those subscriptions because they're half off right now. Theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. Get 50% off the subscription for your first year. You can read all of Al's coverage through the end of the season. When the way-too-early 2022 fantasy baseball rankings drop about a month from now, you'll have access to those as well. And if you're playing fantasy football this season, all the articles, all the rankings, all the customizable projections you need are there as well, all under one roof. Plus, if you like other sports, we cover all of them. So that's pretty great. On Twitter, he's at LMilkYourBB. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're back with you on Thursday. 